They went halfway around the world, um, the Mediterranean of his time, and he went to churches and he had them collect money and he had them um, take some of their key leaders to send all the way halfway back around the world to help out other Christians, uh, Christian brothers and sisters in need because of a famine. So he basically went halfway around the world and said, you need to go help your Christian brothers and sisters because they're without. And as you do that, you see, your love for one another, you're in the same family, that's going to just advance the kingdom because nobody else does that. And it's amazing that we get to be able to partner with World Relief, which is the relief organization of the National Association of Evangelicals. And we get to say, as churches in the Northwest, we're going to take people and we're going to go halfway around the world and we're going to help our Christian brothers and sisters in need and work through the church over there. And so it's fun to have one of those Christian brothers with us this morning and to be able to hear from his paradigm and his perspective um, what we all hold to be the truth, and that's Scripture and the things that Jesus revealed to us. And so I'm going to ask our friend Emmanuel to come up and um, share the word with us this morning. And it's just been an absolute joy. If you weren't there Thursday night at the Kilns, it was one of the best lectures I've ever heard on the history of his country and how it, it comes and ties into theology. And so um, would you just welcome Emmanuel with me this morning? Good morning, everyone. It has been such an amazing time for me to be here. My life has changed, has been challenged, has been transformed in so many ways. I have even added some new English words to my vocabulary. <laughs> One of them is awesome. <laughs> I mean, before I came, I used to use that word when I was singing, our God is an awesome God. And then I came here and I think just the fifth as they arrived, someone said, this is Emmanuel from Burundi. And the one to whom I was introduced said, awesome. I said, what does it mean then? Um, because I can't pretend to be as awesome as my God. So, um, but see, that one has been added to my vocabulary, awesome. The other one is cool. Um, that has been amazing. And I really praise God for being here, for sharing my life and your life, for just being with people who are passionate about the part of the world where I was born. I'm so glad just to hear people advocating for my people. And it has been such a joy for me, not only to tell my story. By the way, I really, I don't like to tell my story. Not that it's not a story to tell. It is. But usually, back there, I, I like to use 
other stories, not mine. But in this part of the world, people enjoy hearing personal stories. So I had to tell my story. But as Ken says, I think Thursday was one of my greatest days as well. Because I did not have to tell my story, but I had to tell the story of my people. I had to tell the story of my land, the land where I was born. That was great. Ah, no, that was awesome. <laughs> um, but also, I won't forget that on Tuesday, I happened myself to be on TV in America. That was awesome. But I will keep in mind as I go back this question that was put to me by one of the journalists. What does your country need to be fixed? Should we come in and rebuild your roads? Or should we send you millions of dollars? What do you need for your country to be fixed? You know, what's amazing with interviews, sometimes you just get in, you don't know what you are going to be asked, and your answers have to be as spontaneous as possible. But as I thought, just said, no, we don't need you to come and fix our roads. Because even the one we used to have were the one who destroyed them. So you may fix them, we may destroy them once again. Dollars, yes, we definitely need them. And I'm tempted to say, yes, give us as much as you can. But I said, I think we need more than that. What we need, first of all, is to work on our minds, to renew our minds to educate ourselves, to change in the way we think. Because our thoughts matter very, very much. And during the week, I have been struggling with that. You know, Am I mad or what? Really, what do we need? Education or money? I'm so sure when I go back home, my friends or whoever knows that I'm over on this side of the world, the most wealthy part of the world, they expect me to go back with thousands of American dollars. That's how it should be. But so, when I say that, what we need more is education, is to work on our minds. Am I serious? I think I am. Um, that took me to, not to read the Bible. Uh, and really what I would like to share with you today is what I believe is extremely important, not only to me, not only to my people, but also to you. How what we think determines what we do. Um, how our idea of God 
who God is determines or affects what you and I end up doing. When I say our idea of God, by the way, I'm not saying that God is who we think he is necessarily. I hope you understand the, the, the nuances. God is who he is. We can't make him who we want him to be. That is, no, the God according to our mind is only an idol. That's not the God we worship. He is who he is. But the level to which we have come to know who he is definitely determines the way we relate to him and to his creation. Uh, and so I would like to emphasize this morning the importance of knowing, knowing who God is, knowing what he has done, knowing what he is doing, and knowing what he will do. Because that will determine how we relate to him, how we relate to his creation, how we relate to his people, what we do and what we will do. Definitely, it helps us to understand what missions is. So I would like us to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll be trying to talk about the um, just picking up some ideas from the whole chapter, but our reading should start from um, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a world point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were Making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made himself who had no sin to be seen for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, here Paul, in this passage, he's, he's talking about you know, uh, many things, but I was surprised to see how many times 
He's using the word knowing or knowledge. Now we know. He starts on verse 1. Now we know that the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. That is, if the, the, the body we, we, we wear, the body we have is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands and so forth. You see, now we know. He says, now we know that if our earth returns or our human bodies were to be destroyed, we know that if we were to die, we have an eternal home somewhere. Now we know. Very important. And um, verse 6 and 7 said, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So I'm just trying to jump, you see. Now, verse 1, now we know that. And because of what we know, we are now confident. We, now, we are now confident that when we live here, we are not living there. He's just trying to, to position himself between um, the now and what will come later, between the, uh, what is going on now and the eternity perspective. But the point I'm trying to make is this. We know that if we come to die now, this is not the end. We have an eternal life. We have a home that is waiting for us in heaven. And because of that, we are confident. You see, the knowledge that we have makes us confident. And verse 7 says, because of that, we live by faith and not by sight. There are things we see. There are words we hear. There are no things we touch. But that's not all for those who know. That might be all for those who don't know. But for those who know, there is something else. There is something. And that's why we do not live by sight. Christians do not live by sight but by faith. And that is something which I have found personally very challenging to put across. Because when you talk to people whose life is quite good, quite nice, usually they think that they do not need to live by faith. And I don't know how to put this across to you. How do you live by faith when everything seems to be already predetermined for you? 
And then you go on the other side of the world where I come from, where everything seems to be uncertain. Even people tend to live by faith. Maybe because that's all they have. But that's also dangerous. Because faith cannot be de-associated with reason. That's why I'm trying to emphasize how important it is to know. Faith is not outside of knowledge, outside of reason. These two goes together. I would like to give you this quote from my mentor, John Stott, in one of his books, when he says this, It is amazing how many people suppose that faith and reason are incompatible, but they are never set over against each other in Scripture. Faith and sight are contrasted, but not faith and reason. For faith, according to Scripture, is neither credulity nor superstition, nor an illogical belief in the occurrence of the improbable, but a quiet, thoughtful trust in God who is known to be trustworthy. You see, it's a quiet, thoughtful trust in the God who is known to be trustworthy. Faith goes beyond reason, but rests on it. Knowledge is the ladder by which faith climbs higher, the springboard from which it leaps far. So I would like you this morning to keep these two things together. Knowledge and faith. We, we have come to know something. There is something we know about God. And because of what we know about Him, we can trust Him. And once we trust Him as the one who can do what he, he, he says he can do? As the one who is powerful, then we can move from there and we can do a lot of things just because we trust him. And so knowledge becomes that ladder which helps us to climb higher and higher and higher. But we can't jump in the void, and think that is faith. That's not what faith is. And Paul continues and says, So we make it our goal to please God. You see, because we have come to know something about him, because we know that he's trustworthy, because we know that he's able to do what he says he will do. He's not like us. 
And because of that, we make it our goal to please Him. You know, I'm just trying to take this, knowing that my life is not only for today, but even if I was to come to die today, I know that eternity is prepared for me. And that's also for you. It's for all of us. And what does that do in my life today? How do I invest my life now that I know that life doesn't start here and ends here? What does it mean for you and for me to know that even if our bodies were to be destroyed today, we still have our heavenly dwelling. Does it mean something for you? I think it should. You know, I have observed something very interesting. Uh, for people whose life expectancy is very high, it's so amazing to see how you are able to think in terms of a long future. And that affects even the way you live. I remember one day being welcomed in one family. And these people had been married for more than 30 years. And as we were just come for lunch, they brought out these dishes. And they said, this is our gift, our wedding gift. I was so surprised. Dishes? that can be broken, that were given for wedding 30 or 40 years ago, now on the table. I'm almost certain that there are very, very few families where you could find such thing back home. And the question is, why? And I kept on thinking. And then I said, well, I think I understand. Someone who lives in a context where he's not sure to make it for tomorrow. Someone, well, in my country, I think the life expectancy today is said to be 43 years. So now that I've turned 40, you see, I'm an old man. I'm on the way just going back home. Maybe that's why I'm preaching on heaven. So that affects the way you live. That affects what you think is more important. So, uh, the point I'm making, now that we know that our lives do not start from here and end from here, that we have come to share internal life, How do we live? Our faith is based, is founded on what we know about God and what he said and what he promised. How does it affect how you and I live today? How you and I relate to other people? As I continue to said that text, I came to this verse 
which really, really, really challenged me. Verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Why? Because we are convinced. You see, it comes back once again. How are we convinced? Because we know something. Right? There's something we know. And because we know, we are convinced. And because we are convinced, then we are compelled to do something. And what are we convinced of? That one died for all. And therefore, all died. That's a powerful Christian proclamation. Or it's a powerful statement. We are convinced that one died for all. And therefore, all died. Praise God. We all know that Jesus died. And he did not die because he had done something wrong. But he died for you. He died for me. As Christians, that's what we believe. That one we know. We know that he died for us. He died for me. He died for you. He died for all those who are in Christ. Try to think for a moment. Because I, I, you are very smart people. I know. And this is in English. You understand if my pronunciation is correct. So you have no problem there. But do you really believe today that Jesus died for all? Do you believe it? So, if you believe it, see what it takes us. Because he died for all, therefore, all died. That's clear. Because if he died to pay the ransom for all, then none or no one should anymore pay. Do you get it? He died for all. And who are the all? Did he die for Christians? What do you think? Does it say that he died for Christians? No. He died for all. He died for all sinners, you and I included. Because today, you and I we can say that he died for us because we have accepted that he died for us and we are forgiven. Praise God. But did he die after we recognized that he was dying for us? He died 2,000 years ago. For you and me who were not born. He died while you and I were still living in sins. But he had already died. So that I think helps us to understand when you say that he died for all. For all of us. And because of that, all died. And verse 17, it says something amazing. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ. In other words, 
for you and I who have come to the realization, for you and I who have come to understand that Jesus died for all and therefore all died. So we are a new creation. The old has gone. In other words, now Jesus is the lenses we put on our eyes and through which we look or we see the rest of the people and the rest of the world. Are you with me here? Because if you really believe that Jesus died for all, that he died for you, and you received him in your life. Now, you and I, we are new creation. And so we stand in Christ, and we look at the world. And what do we see? We no longer see sinners. We no longer see people we don't like because they don't look like us. But we see people for whom Jesus died. You see? Those people may not accept it. But it doesn't mean that he did not die for them. You and me, we know it. Okay? They may not accept it. But still, he died for them. Those people may not know it yet. But you and me, we know. Right? And therefore, we can no longer look at people, at creation, as we used to simply because we are new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. How nice it is. But also very challenging. You know, friends, the world so full of hatred, the world so full of people who are wounded, the world so full of people who cannot forgive. If anything they can do, they can revenge, they can take revenge. But once we come to know, once we come to understand what Jesus did on the cross, things change. For many Africans, when they look at the people with white skin, what do we see? We may see people who are just fighting in Congo to take more of its minerals. Is that true? That's true. I'm sure that in this room, I might be the only one who 
is with, who is without mobile phone. Now, I've got one home, by the way. Do you know where the call turn with which they make mobile phone comes from? Do you know where it comes from? From Congo. And people today are being killed because so many powerful nations want to control it. Do you get me? And so for many Congolese to see white people, it may mean, you know, people who are just interested in our mineral resources and so forth. But to a Congolese who has come to understand that Christ died for all, including for you, he can no longer see no controlling powers, but he see brothers and sisters in the who know or who may not know. Are you with me? For a Burundi Christian, if you are a Hutu, you may see just a, a Mututi as someone you know, who contributed to your suffering. But once we come to the realization that Christ died for all, that includes even those who make us suffer. And vice versa. Do you get it? So the whole perspective changes. Today, with all what the world is experiencing, the, the, the terrorism and everything, what do you see when you look at people of other faith? Do you see terrorists? Or do you see people for whom Christ died? It's challenging. Today, the world is divided among you know, uh, those who hold to traditional, biblical, or Christian values and those who are no longer, you know. But what do we see when we look around? Do we see homosexuals? Do we see women? Do we see men? Do we see white people? Do we see black people? Or do we see people of whom Christ died? How do we apply this? This may be challenging. It may be very difficult. I'm glad that we are going to watch the Congo video. I haven't seen it yet. But, you know, uh, yesterday, I don't know how it happened. Uh, Dan and I were just, you know, driving together. And I asked him something I had noticed, which just came like that. He said, Dan, uh, thank you, by the way, all of you who, who have just shown me your hospitality, it has been wonderful. But you see, when, whenever someone from a different culture goes in another culture, he's likely to see things which seem to be very normal for you. And that will be the same when you come to visit us, for sure. Okay? And you are welcome to come and be with us. 
So two things I noticed. One, it's uh, I told somebody how you know the kitchen in many houses are facing the sitting room. That surprised me. I'm sure that doesn't surprise you because it's very normal, right? So that one, I'm not going to touch it. But the other one is, the other one is, I, I have seen so many dogs in so many houses. <laughs> I'm almost tempted to, to think that nearly every home has got a dog, a pet dog. I, I thought that Dan and Tambri did not have one, but when I came in this weekend, I found that Tambri was dog-sitting. My goodness. I can't even understand how I can use that dog-sitting. I was used somewhat babysitting, but not dog-sitting. <laughs> um, and then, as I put the question, then Dan put it around the table last night, and then people started talking about it, and they're quiet listening. Why do so many Americans have dogs? You see, I'm a foreigner. Please forgive me. I, I don't pretend to understand. But I think twice I have even seen someone who was jogging, and she had her dog on the, how do you call it? The, can you imagine? Just, that was made for for babies, and I saw a dog, and she was, I said, what's it this? <laughs> so you see, I'm going back home very, very enriched by your <laughs> amazing American culture. But last night I was thinking, and please, please, please take this out of a good heart. It's not a critique. But maybe it can help us to think. I said, now that we know that Christ died for all, and therefore that all died, and that now that we are in him, he has become the standpoint out of which we look at the world. What do we see? Because, and please, please take this out of a good heart. Don't take it as a negative thing. But, your dogs live better than many of the people for whom Christ died. They do. Yes, they are part of creation. Yes, they are part of that which we had been entrusted for us to care for as God's stewards. I believe that. But for them to live better than many people in the world it should challenge us. I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. Please get me right. I'm making this statement to help you think. 
What is going wrong in the world? How are we looking? What do we see as a Christian? What is our perspective on creation? And what is affecting our... You see, it comes once again. Uh, what is affecting our viewpoint? Friends, let us go back to God's word. Let us go back to understand who God is what he thinks, what he has done, and what that should do in our lives. My time is gone, isn't it? It's gone. Doesn't matter. Give me five minutes. <laughs> it's my last time to speak to you, by the way. I'm leaving tonight, so Ken, sorry. Uh, but then we have forgiven me when I come back. But this is very important. Let us take it. Um, I was reading something yesterday. Maybe it, it also affected me. It's, it, it's in the Reader's Digest that I just picked up at Tambourine's table. And this was, I think, some statesmen and women putting together a number of advice they want to pass on the, the newly elected president. Thank you, by the way, for... Oh, sorry. Um, no, I mean, we are so proud of him. And you Americans, you have done something amazing, which I saw all around the world. For you, for you to elect a black man, it has changed the way people think of you. I'm serious here. So I saw these piece, pieces of advice they were just putting to him, and one man told him something which surprised me. He said, please, 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 use your, that's a new word I learned, your bully or bullying puppet, bully or bu bullying, you know, to urge the American people to adopt the children. All the American children who are with parents should be adopted in families. At first point, I was shocked. I, I, I mean, couldn't really understand very well what he was saying. But as I thought through this dog dialogue, then he said, this man has got a point. This man has got a point. Look, you know why you have a dog. You surely have reasons for having them. But that dog should be in homes. When children, orphans are out, Think once again. If you have a big heart for a dog, I'm sure, I'm sure, as a Christian, as a believer, you have even a bigger heart for people. I think. If you have a big heart for a dog, if you have a space for a dog, which is nice, I'm not condemning. There must be a bigger heart, a bigger place for human beings. May God help us. I had one point, but I may leave it. It just, no, he says, they say, all this is coming because 
God has reconciled himself to us. Because we are reconciled to God, therefore, we have to take that ministry of reconciliation. You see, because he died for all, and all died, and because he died for all, you and me had been reconciled to God. And because we are reconciled to him, there's no reason why we should not reconcile with those who sinned against us. Jesus' prayer once again. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who did what? I have been putting that prayer back to my people, challenging them to forgive one another with all the bad things we did. And say, friends, do we realize what we are saying? Forgive our sins as, your English, you, you are, your English is far, far better than mine, you understand, as we forgive those who sinned against us. Do you understand that by saying that, really, for some of us, we are just calling curse upon us. There is no way we can pray that prayer as long as we know that we haven't forgiven those who sinned against us. Because we are saying, forgive our sins as we have forgiven. And there is no way we cannot forgive because we had been forgiven. May God help us, brothers and sisters. Oh, time is gone. Let us bow our heads and pray. I would like to give you just one or two minutes to think of what I'm saying and realize that's coming from the Bible. This is not me. It's the Bible. It's, it's what it says. And once again, it shows how the Christian way is a hard one. Oh, it's so, it's so unfortunate that people think that by taking that way, they are taking the way of easiness. It's not the way for easiness. That's why it does not go with feelings, by the way. It's not how I feel. It's what I know. It's what I believe. It's not that I feel good about it. No. It's what it is. If you feel challenged by what I said, if you feel, maybe you've been fooling yourself, calling yourself a Christian, while you will not, just because maybe what I said just shows you how Christians, we can many times fool ourselves. If you want to recommit your life to Jesus, in light of what I've said, and you want us to pray together as we close, you may stand up and we can pray. If you are struggling with forgiving, and you need that help from God to be able to forgive. If you realize that, surely, you have a big heart and, heart and room for a dog, which is good, but the room for human beings, for people, is, is not that bigger. Maybe you are the one who needs prayer. If you are just craving for change, you are the one I would be so glad to pray together with before I give back the microphone.